0: Yes, you can turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, you can be in prayer, obviously, for our, us as a church as we continue to move forward and be in prayer for one another, right? Uh, uh, Omicron's going around, it's, it's getting some people, but uh, fortunately it's not, it's not bad, and, uh, just, but just keep praying for people as they recover from that. And uh, also, just be in prayer for the search committee too, as we um, as we seek to to seek out God's man uh, for our church. We're excited because we have got several great candidates we're looking at, and uh, we're excited because we can further our our impact in Ames, especially the, the Iowa State community. and And so, we're excited about how God might be leading us there. And so. Um, we're we'll, we'll just be in prayer for that as well. Appreciated what Don had to say about prayer because uh, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4 verses it, it really we're, we're transitioning between Ephesians 1 through 3 that looks at all of the things that God has done for us. There are no commands in Ephesians 1 through 3. No like you need to do this. They're all De- declarations of who you are in Christ, what you need to know about what God has done on your behalf. But now he transitions to things you need to do, but he set it up with a prayer. He set it up with this prayer that, that the, as the church might, in a sense, succeed at knowing the love of God, that that is the, the goal of the Father for the church that the church would be a place where he might dwell knowing that people know he loves them, right? Just like a father in a home would say, I want to dwell amongst people who that know I love them, that respond in love to me as I respond in love to them, and that this is a mutual place of love and encouragement and, and, and strengthening together. But the challenge is that God has brought Jews and Gentiles together, people from different backgrounds, different Ethnicities, etc., into one body. There's differences in the midst of that body, and so knowing that you're loved, feeling like you belong, is a challenge. You don't often feel that way sometimes, even though it's true that like God has placed you in His body, the, the, the Christ's body, the church. And so, you ever think about why? Why are you a part of a church, or why would you want to be a part of a church? Like, what goes into that? Why would you want this? You know the, the the straightforward answer in Scripture is because God has placed you in this community. But sometimes we get caught up in, in other things. Like we get caught up maybe in the programs of the church. Like are, do do they have what I want or do they have what I think should be happening here? Sometimes you get caught up in in maybe just the just what's happening on Sunday. Just is what happening on Sunday. What I think should be happening. Ben Patterson put it in uh, in Leadership Magazine. He said, "People in the church are like porcupines in a snowstorm. We need each other to keep warm, but we prick each other if we get too close. Right? It's a challenge, right? This, is, this is kind of this. We're different. Those differences come out. They're kind of sharp edges, if you will, and." And our American culture overall doesn't help us think about what it's like to be in a church because our American culture wants us to live hurried lives. Like we we always got to be busy doing something, right? And and we're unable to really slow down and just be with Jesus. You know, that's part of being a church is not like, okay, what are we doing this week? As much as this is who we are, this is who we get to enjoy being with. We also are very much about image in American culture. We're all about what's on the outside. And we pretend to be something on the outside that we aren't on the inside. But how destructive to the, to, is that to our souls, right? That we're always projecting an image. And, and the reason why we have to project an image a lot of times is because Again, American culture overall doesn't help us process sadness and anger and grief. We've always got to be professional. We've always got to be happy, happy, joy, joy, so to speak. Just the power of positive thinking. And it doesn't help us process, man, I'm sad here. I'm grieving this loss. But biblical culture, even the culture that Paul is trying to encourage in Ephesians, helps us to process things, helps us to, to accomplish things. In the conversation this week, somebody made the comment, comment, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat, right? So where, where are we headed? What is it that we're seeking to accomplish? And here in Ephesians chapter 4, as we move from Ephesians chapter 3, we have to ask ourselves the question, are, are, if, if we're supposed to experience God's love as a church, and that is success, For a church, that that the people in it might experience God's love through the people that are in that church, well then, how do we help one another experience God's love? How do we help that happen? If Paul is praying that, that God would cause their faith to be strengthened so that they know, they know deep down that God loves them, then one of the reasons he's called us together is to help that to happen. And it's not just that the Spirit is moving in us, but that we cooperate with the Spirit, right? And you know that he's still thinking, as he moves into Ephesians chapter 4, that he's still thinking about how to strengthen the church and experiencing God's love, because you get all the way to the end of the book, you know, where the preacher says, in conclusion, and then spends a little bit more time, you know, before he finishes, Well, Paul does that in Ephesians chapter 6, because he says, finally, or in conclusion, and what's his conclusion? He's like, summing it all up, what? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He's saying, saying, I'm talking to you, I've been talking to you all along here, even with all these commands, that you would know how to be strong in the Lord, that you would be able to walk in strength, that you would be able to walk in the strength of knowing God's love for you. And God's love for you in the church. And so Paul. part of what Paul is doing here is he jumps into these commands. He says, you need to do this and you need to do that in relation to being a part of the church. Is he's, he's saying, I'm doing it because in some ways he's just flowing out of his... The Spirit is moving him, right? He's riding under the, the impulse of the Spirit. And he's just prayed to the Spirit that they would strengthen, be strengthened in God's love And so, in some ways, chapters 4 through 6 are an answer to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. Saying, this is what it means. Do you want to be strengthened in God's love? Do you want to participate in the Spirit? With the Spirit and what He is doing in your lives to strengthen you in God's love? Or this is how you go about doing that. And so, as we jump into it here, it's just that's my goal for you is to help you understand just a little bit of of what God is doing in your life and how he wants to strengthen you in knowing that you are loved by God. So follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 1. Paul's just prayed right now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, right? According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, it's not strictly a command, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a call, in a sense. Like, this, this is worthy of doing. He, said, he starts off, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, or in the Lord. He's like, God, is, God has put me here, and he's re- just reminding them again, I'm suffering on your behalf because I love you. Out of my love for you, which is just an echo of God's love for you, here's how you can know God's love for you. Walk worthy Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is a common transition for Paul from what God has done for them to how they need to live in response. And so you can, you can call it living honorably. Does that make sense? Living honorably. I've got to turn this on or nothing happens. L- living honorably. So point number one is living honorably. To walk in a manner worthy, okay, this, the word here for worthy is, you, you realize that in their day, they didn't have cash registers. They didn't have uh, point-of-sale points, you know, just get your card and swipe or use your phone. They had scales. And to make a transaction, you, you would put on, on the scale the equivalent amount to what the transaction called for, Right? And this is that word for, it's brought to equivalence. It's brought to equality. And he's saying, walk worthy of the, of the calling to which you've been called. It's, it's to say, respond to what God has done in your life by, by calling forth an, an equivalent response. To what, how much do you value What God has done for you. How much do you value that you're chosen, that you're adopted into God's family, that you're redeemed? How much do you value that that you you have an inheritance that is waiting for you in heaven that's reserved, protected? It's that word that we, in English, we use the word honor, right? We don't use it very much anymore because. To live honorably means that you, you you treat the situation with respect. But in today's world, a lot of times, we're not so concerned about respect to others. We're just concerned about respect for me. We want everyone else to treat us honorably, but it's not reciprocal, right? Because... We're all about the individual too often, right? But, but in a community, to live honorably is to say that we treat the relationships that we have with respect, with value. To say, I value these relationships. I want, want to treat them with the respect they deserve. Paul uses this multiple other New Testament epistles. So let me give you just an example of a couple of those. Only let your, in Philippians chapter one, only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I am here that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So he's saying, here, God has saved you. You understand the gospel now. Let your life be worthy of the gospel, Right? Colossians chapter 1. He's praying for them so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So same idea here. Now you know God. You know the God of the universe who has created you and redeemed you. Walk in a manner worthy of him. Uh, 1 Thessalonians does the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so there's, there's multiple times here where this is Paul's kind of idea is, is he's, he's calling saying, do you value what you've received? Well, then respond to that value, right? As, as parents, we would like to do this, but we know in a conflict with our children that asking this question of them, yeah, it's a little threatening, right? When you're in a conflict with your child, to say to them, Act in a manner worthy of the parenting that you have received. Do you value that parenting? Do you value my position in your life? That if you do, then you will respond in an appropriate manner, right? We, we want to say that, but that's pretty threatening to say because they'll be like, well, I don't value it very much right now, right? That's what it feels like. But that's, that's what he's saying here in that sense is, do, do you value it? And yes, there are times when we're like, man, God, what are you doing in my life? I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't like this. I don't value this. But Paul here is saying, look back. See what God has done. You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're adopted. Value it. Live your life honorably because of it. Respond appropriately to it. And here he says, not be honorable of the gospel, nor live honorably because of the Lord. He, he says, live honorably honorably because of the calling to which you have been called. He's talking about this, that the, 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 we're part of this church, right? He's talking about valuing that, that you, you're being placed into a community together, you're, that you're called out, you're assembled together to reflect this new home that God is making of every tribe and tongue and nation. He's saying, live valuing that calling. Which, in some ways, is just saying, how grateful are you for what God has done, right? It's, it's not too dissimilar from gratitude. We talk about developing our attitude of gratitude, and it's, it's that, that, that idea that, again, do we value what God has done for us? Do we value being placed in a church? Especially because, just like Ben Patterson said, sometimes when we get too close, we're poking one another. (laughs) It's not that we're like struggling up to one another. It's like, hey, uh, uh, what do I do? I want to get close and get warm, but I also don't want to get away. It's too pokey, right? It's difficult. It's difficult, especially because basically what he's saying If he's calling out a people from his name from every tribe and tongue and nation, God intentionally places into the church people who are dissimilar from each other. Do you get that point? They they have things that don't just, oh, I, I feel so comfortable with you. It's often, I don't feel so comfortable here. And yet to say, to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called is to say, value this. Now, how do we value it? He goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I was talking to some guys yesterday about the Ephesians 3, or last Sunday about the Ephesians 3 text, and they were saying, yeah, usually Paul's got these parallel ideas, and, and, and there weren't so much parallel in Ephesians chapter 3. Well, here they are parallel. So here's some parallel ideas. You have, with all humility and gentleness... And then eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then the inside ideas are with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then it's all wrapped up in unity, and so that's where at the end of that, verse 4, he goes off and talks about unity, which we'll look at next week. So you have two parallel ideas with all humility and gentleness, and your reason for pursuing that is to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is, God is, not that we are maintaining the peace, God has created the peace already. We're at peace with one another, but we're eager to maintain that in the spirit. And we do that by responding with humility and gentleness. And he, he uses the word with all, every kind of, or with as, as much as possible humility and gentleness. And then he adds on top of that, or in parallel, the idea of being patient with one another. Why? Bearing with one another in love. We, we want to be patient in order to show love to one another. So we want to maintain love and unity by being patient. And responding with gentleness and humility. <laughs> I humility. Say that five times fast. And so you have two ideas that go together here. They're response words. These aren't not primarily initiative words. They're response words. Like how do you respond when somebody does something to you? Are you patient? Are you humble? Are you gentle? You really can't be gentle without some kind of thing coming at you. Does that make sense? You can't really be humble unless something's coming at you. You can't even be patient unless you're put in a difficult situation, right? These are all response types words. And he's saying, these are the things that we're supposed to be doing because we value being placed in this body called the church. Um, To help me illustrate that, I'm going to use... Two of my sons, I talked to them ahead of time. Zeke and Judd, come on up, guys. Bring the sword. Okay, so give the sword to Zeke. I think this will work better if Zeke's got the sword. He's very happy to have the sword. I can see it on his face already. Okay, and so uh, when you're trying to teach your kids... uh, how to fight? Well, don't do that too much, but uh, maybe how to respond to a fight. One of the things to help them realize is that that uh, to get to get uh, to get through things, especially when when they're at a disadvantage. Okay, and uh, so one of the things, if you're in a sword fight, which hopefully you never are, uh, especially if you're unarmed like Judson is, how do you, how do you what do you do? How do you respond? Okay, and so. So just kind of act like you're stabbing. Act like you're stabbing Judson, right? Okay. Yes, he's got to avoid the stab. That's good. Okay. Avoiding stabs are good. But if you're unarmed, what do you do? Right? You got to do something. So actually the key is to realize that the way you avoid getting harmed in a sword fight is to get inside the reach of the sword bearer. So if he can get inside here... He's got to be careful how he does it, but at least the sword isn't going to bother him. Does that make sense? He can, he can take away the sword. So so the idea is to teach, okay, stab, to help him realize, okay, yeah, you've got to move around the sword and get there. To do that, you've got to know your opponent's reach, stab Zeke, okay, he's got just enough reach outside here, and then stay balanced as he reaches, and then go, right? You've got to move, okay, let's try it really quick one time. All right, Ed, Ed. Okay, yes, very good. Okay, thank you guys for that somewhat good illustration. <laughs> in a sense, this is what Paul is, is saying here, in, in relation to this, in this whole in this whole book. In a sense, he's saying the devil is seeking to destroy you. You are in a fight. You're in a war. If you don't understand the reach of your opponent, then you don't really understand who you are. You don't understand how to stay balanced. But if you understand that your opponent can't really reach you, not all the way, right? You are chosen. You're adopted. You're redeemed. Then you can stay balanced, and you can respond to the attacks of the enemy in a way that disarms The situation, that allows love to flow into the situation. So you don't have to go out and find your own sword and be like, ha, I'm going to destroy you back, but instead respond and find the right helpful solution to disarm and to make peace. And that's what he's doing in Ephesians. He's saying, know where you're at. Know the reach of the enemy. And then, now that you know the reach of the enemy and that it can't really reach you, you are loved by God. Now, you can respond. Now, to be clear, I didn't actually have them do it at real time because they both would hurt one another, right? Right? We're not talking, this, this is not Paul being like, okay, I just, I just prayed that God would do something abundantly, far above that anything you could ask or think. And then, oh yeah, just, just be humble and gentle. This, this is easy. This, this is no problem. You can respond with humility and gentleness in difficult situations. Uh, I don't know why you're not doing it already. No, that's not what he's saying. Or, nor is he saying, I know you're doing this already. I'm just reminding you yeah, you remember humility and gentleness? That's, that's important. No, he's saying, this is like, this is where I'm headed. He's, in a sense, he's saying, I want you to get here. This is spiritual maturity to respond with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This is spiritual maturity. But we don't get there immediately. It doesn't happen immediately, and he's going to go into for a good majority of the rest of the book, talking about how you build, build up your mentality, build up your responses, build up your obedience to God in such a way that you can respond this way. But let's just think about what he's saying here for a second. What does it mean to respond with humility and gentleness, to preserve unity? How do we, in a sense, disarm the situation? We'll think of Jews and Gentiles, Right? A Gentile coming in, seeing the Jews not not eating bacon and being like, what is wrong with these Jews? Don't they understand how good bacon is? Don't they understand how how we're free in Christ? We can eat bacon, there's no problem. What's wrong with you Jews for not eating bacon? How would a Jew respond to that? How could they respond with humility and gentleness? Now, the, the words here for humility are that idea of again, of, of thinking not so much of yourself, basically the idea is, my opinion isn't that important because it's not about me ultimately. That's, you know, if you just took the attitude of humility, that's what you'd be saying. My opinion isn't that important because not, it's not about me ultimately. It's not saying you don't have an opinion. It's not saying that you don't, you, you, you have, don't have some ideas about things. It's just saying, ultimately, you realize that that's not the the highest thing here. Gentleness is that idea. It's not, again, it's not just, well, just whatever you say, you know, it's okay. It's not weakness. It's not being a doormat that says, whatever you want to do is fine. Gentleness is strength under control. It's saying, I, I have steel, I have, I have a, a spine, I know, I know where I stand, and I'm not willing to give up what's right and wrong, but I'm still I'm able to cover that steel with velvet. I'm able to handle people gently, even as I'm dealing with hard things. The, those two responses in the midst of, what's wrong with you?, They're not easy. But 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 he's saying there's something that you have a goal here to preserve. You want to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God has brought you together. You are now one in Christ. I I want to not just know that intellectually, I want to experience that experientially by being humble in my responses. It's not all about me by being gentle in what I do. Same thing, Gentiles, Jews might come in and be like, what's wrong with these Gentiles? They never practice Sabbath, and they never, never, never do the holy days. They never experience the, the rest that God has for them. What's wrong with them? They're always working, working, working every day. It seems like they're always working. And then Gentiles are like, well, what's wrong with work? <laughs> you know? it's good to work. You know, why do we have to always pick one day to take a day off? I mean, can we, can we move it around a little bit? What's the big deal, right? And we would, that you could see it in the early church where those would be huge issues. In fact, you could say even in today's church, those can be big issues like what do we eat and when do we rest? Those are practically very big issues. You're always struggling with those in various ways, In a lot of ways, what we're dealing with is self-awareness. Do you know how you come across? It's not saying that if someone says, why do you eat bacon? You're an idiot for eating bacon. You can't say, well, you know what? I, I, really, I really like bacon. You know? And I believe that God, God says I'm free to do that. But it's how do you do it? How do you come across as you say, I love you? I'm not, you know, in fact, Romans 14, I'm willing to not eat bacon right now because it's not not, it's not, it's not important to me. My opinion on bacon is not that important. My opinion on, on uh, because, why? Because it's not really about me right here. It's about the fact that God has brought us together and that's more important. And so it's that, awareness, not of I'm just going to give up all the things that I think about, all the things I care about, but it's that awareness of how do I come across as I stand for truth, as I seek to do good to someone else. The idea of responding with patience to demonstrate love. I mean, what's the temptation, right? Somebody comes at you, kind of treating you like you're an idiot, disrespecting what you think and how you how you operate, and you're you're like, okay, boundary time. (laughs) He's going to put up some walls here. They're going to be kind of thick at this point in time, and I'm just going to leave you alone, you know? But instead, he's saying here, we respond with patience, bearing with one another in love. Again, my goal here is to show that I love you even when you're treating me like an idiot, And, and obviously the relationship is somewhat broken at this point. Right? We're gonna bear with one another in love. I've, I've, it takes time sometimes to show people that they're loved. I still remember the illustration of my sister. She she went to Pennsylvania to, 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 uh, to go to school in Pennsylvania, and the church she went to in in uh, in Pennsylvania uh, was was uh in Old coal mining country, you, you realize Pennsylvania was coal mining country, it was in the Appalachian Mountains, there's a lot of coal, and the market on coal went, Phew! and all those people who had jobs lost their jobs, and they had no way of getting jobs, because that's the only thing in rural Pennsylvania that you can get a job doing, I guess, at least at the time. And so you have, so what did the government do? The government responded by providing, you know, welfare and help, and it was good to do. But this is three generations in to, to families who have been on welfare for three generations. And then you're coming in saying, "God loves you." And they're like, "What do you mean? <laughs> I got no hope in my situation. My, my parents operate this way. They don't care about me. they don't care about life. And, uh, and I'm just And, and how, how do you, as a Christian, show love to kids like that? It takes patience it takes i'm going to stay around i'm going to sh- can, even when you're kind of snotty with me and disrespect me i'm going to be patient and show love and be kind right it, it's no different in the church we all have our backgrounds we all have our baggage and he's saying here to respond with patience means why 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 would i do that because I want to show that I value you. I value you more than I value your behavior. And so so, so this is where Paul is headed. You're saying, this is a pretty high bar. It is. Am I there? Absolutely not. (laughs) I don't want to respond with patience, and I don't want to always respond with humility and gentleness. But Paul is saying that God, God through the Spirit has the ability to, to produce this in our lives. He's, he's at work in us. And he's going to say, basically, Ephesians, he's, he's going to say, What? Look, listen to your pastors. They're, they're at least going to help you with this process to be able to speak the truth in love. Learn how to differentiate between the old man and the new man and how to communicate as a, as a new creation in Christ. Learn how to walk in love and walk in light and walk in wisdom so that your lifestyle is generally pursuing this. Be filled with the Spirit so that you can seek to want to submit to one another, want to to rejoice in the Lord even in difficult situations. He says all of these things are going to be matter. Why? So that when you're in a difficult situation and someone comes at you like, why should (laughs) you, you're an idiot for eating bacon, you can be like, man, I love you even if I don't really like how you're treating me right now. And I can respond with gentleness. I can be like, you know, let's, let's talk about bacon. You know, because it's, it's not really about bacon. I don't really care about bacon. I care about what God's doing in the world. I care about how, how we can together show what God is doing in the world and, and how he's creating a new creation in Christ. So can, can I just give you some... This is where we're headed. I'm trying to say this is where we're headed. And he's saying, I'm exhorting you. If we want to respect this calling where we realize we're being made one person, one people out of every tribe and tongue and nation, we've got to learn how to respond with patience in order to demonstrate love. We've got to learn how to respond with humility and gentleness in order to demonstrate the unity that we have in the Spirit. We've got to learn this. It's worth pursuing. Even as we're triggered, right? We, we like to use the word triggered today because it's, it's a good word for that idea. of something comes in and we respond to it, right? Here's just some ideas about how to help us with our triggers, right? Just some practical ideas. First of all, um, just briefly here, when you're listening to people, a lot of times what we do is, rather than listening in order to really understand, we listen in order to respond, right? I'm listening, but really what I'm doing is thinking, okay, here's my response, you know? If I was going to say, you know, this is, I struggle with this in relation to my wife, because she starts talking about all the things I'm doing wrong, and I'm like, okay, here's my defense, you know, let's build it up, rock here, Bul- bulwark here, cannon over here. Get ready to attack in response. And here we go. Right, we we can instead of seeking how do I respond in humility and gentleness, we listen in order to defend. And and one of the ways, one of the things you can work at doing is listen and work at listening, and then just re- your goal is just to repeat back what they've said. Just to listen and in order to repeat back what they've said. Why? Because then they know they've been heard. If you're able to repeat it back to them, it's not too different, in my opinion, from our encouragement to memorize Scripture, right? Wait, God tells us His Word, and, and our temptation is like, okay, boom, I'm going to go do this, or God, I am doing this, I'm fine, I'm good, you know? And, and memorization of Scripture is what? It's kind of saying, God, I listened to you, and I heard exactly what you said to me. <laughs> I, I know it. And obviously, we need to apply it. It's not saying we don't need to apply it. But there's that sense of listening in order to not just defend, but to repeat back, to to, to make sure that understanding is is happening. Another thing, we've talked about this earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, living in grace as an identity. Do you understand that when you're triggered, you can stop for a second? Why? Because you live in grace. You live in God's mercy and forgiveness in your life. He's created this space for you to live with him and to walk with him. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to to act as if you're always right. Primarily, what he's saying here in that response, in a sense, is when you're responding, remember, you're responding not to the other person primarily. You're responding to God first. If you're in interaction with another Christian, especially, God God is present. And that means that you're responding not primarily to that person. You're responding to God. God's God's doing something. God, I'm willing to be patient and see what you're doing. I'm willing to respond with humility and gentleness. Why? Because you're you're doing something here, and I want to, to participate in that, and I can't do that if I cut myself off. I can't do that if I respond with anger and hostility. These are all things that just help us with our triggers. Not to say, again, when you run into sin, sin needs to be dealt with. But there's a way of dealing with it that's gentle and kind, and and, and uplifting, and is not harsh. Is not proud. Is not impatient. So that's where. We're, I'm just trying to help you see. This is where Paul is headed, and it's, it's a challenge again because you're like, Paul, you don't know me. You know, I'm pretty defensive. I like what I like. I like bacon. Somebody comes at me and says you can't eat bacon. I'm going to defend myself. I got my, you know, I got my Colt forty-five. I'm ready to go, right? And Paul's like. You remember, right? Now to him who is able to do abundantly, far above all that you ask or think. You don't think you can do this? You don't think you can live this way? You, you don't, you've forgotten that God is now in your life. That the God of the universe who loves you is seeking to transform you into this new home that he is making. And he, it's creating a new creation. And that means that all the ways you think you have to respond are now no longer the ways you have to respond. Because God is in your life. He loves you. He is not going to give up on you. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, Now to him who is, who, who is at work in you until the day he completes it. God is not done with any of us. None of us have arrived. None of us have have been shown off as the the, the perfection of what God is, is doing in our lives. We are not complete. And if that's true, then God is at work in you. God loves you. And he wants you to be able to know his love better. And you know one of the greatest ways to know his love better? When you're in a difficult situation and humility and gentleness and patience are flowing back and forth, right? Like, oh man, this is, I know this is a tough situation and I, I'm tempted to be impatient, but I, I really, I'm just really able to right now be patient in this situation because I realize that you're not done yet. God's still working on you. God's still working on me. Let's, let's, keep, let's keep seeing what God's doing here. Man, I, I realize that you don't like bacon and I do, but, but hey, uh, you know what? Let's talk about what God's doing. Let's, let's see how God's working in each of our hearts and our lives because, you know what? That's, that's so important it's so important to know what God's doing, not about our opinions. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great to live that way? I mean, this is what God is doing. And the more that we understand that, the more we are strengthened in God's love for us. Why? Because the more you're treated with humility and gentleness and patience, the more you know someone loves you, right? I mean, the primary place where the most patience and the most humility and the most gentleness should happen is the home, right? Where people know that they're loved. Even when you argue and even when you're like, I don't like you doing that and why are you going this way and what are you thinking? At the same time, you're like, man, I still love you. I'm still making breakfast for you. I'm still providing clothes for you. I'm still doing this for you. Why? Because we love one another. And yet, in the midst of all of our differences, even though we are like porcupines in a snowstorm, God transforms us. So we look at what God has doing for us, and we say, God, you're amazing. You're amazing that you forgive us. It's amazing that you help us. And we want to show that amazing love in how we respond to others. So again, I don't expect you to be able to, you know, right away have someone come at you with a sword and be like, yeah, I know how to handle this, boom, disarm you, I'm good. There's going to be times when you pull your sword out and be like, hey, let's fight, you know what I mean? But Paul's saying in a sense, I've got some ways so that you can disarm your enemies and show them God love. Will you let me help you with that? Will you read Ephesians and see what God is doing? Heavenly Father, we pray, we thank you that you are not done with us. And we are so tempted to pull out our swords, defend ourselves, fight for what we think is right. And sometimes we do need to fight for what is right. But we need to do that with love and humility and gentleness seeking to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You have made us at peace with you and with one another. And we don't fully understand that yet. But you love us. You have made us a part of your family. And you are making us into a beautiful testimony to your love. Help us just in small ways to take steps in that direction even this week. In your son's name and for his glory, amen.